0: Today we start a new book of the Bible, but the, the series doesn't change because it's the second book of Thessalonians. And so we just finished the first book of Thessalonians where Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he only was able to spend a few weeks there with him. We read about it in Acts chapter 17 where, where he was there uh, witnessing in the synagogue for only three weeks, and this church was birthed. And then this move of God happened where where they were turning from idols. They were turning from this pagan worship, the the ways of the world. And they were turning to serve the one true God. And the moment that, that revival broke out, Satan began to oppose it. The adversary came as a headwind. The adversary came and ignited riots in the streets and and riots in the church and persecution and affliction was increasing and increasing. And it got so bad that the church said, Paul, you gotta go. You gotta flee for your life because they're gonna kill you. And so Paul, he flees uh, for his life, and he settles in Corinthians when he writes to them, uh, and he writes the, the first letter. Some believe that this is Paul's first letter to any church um, and when he wrote this, and we saw throughout the chapters of how Paul is keeping a main theme, that the return of the Lord is near, and that there will be persecution and affliction until he comes. And now I understand that as we go through that, that um, that's not always the, the most encouraging message, that's not always uh, the message that makes us feel the best, but it is the message that prepares us to endure until the end, to stand firm in our faith, to know what we believe and why we believe it, and to lean on him in everything that we do. To realize that the power of the gospel is greater, is more powerful than any adversary, anything the world would throw at us, that we serve the one true God who conquered death, hell, and the grave and reigns victorious. So we no longer as children of God have to fight for victory. We fight from victory. And that's what Paul's teaching the church. But in, in all of this, Paul is realizing that when he left, others came in pretending to be Paul writing letters to the church as if it was Paul and confusing the mess out of them When it came to the second coming of Christ, these letters that had come to the church made the believers there believe that the rapture had already happened and that they were living in the tribulation. And that's why they were experiencing so much persecution, that they had missed the boat. The church was gone and they they were in the tribulation. They were going to have to wait until the tribulation was over before they went and was with Christ. And, And it was so they were so deceived. And that's that is the tactic of the enemy. That any time, any time that God is on the move, he's going to come in and he's going to start to try to attack and cause confusion and deception and question. And we see that happen. And so Paul then writes to them, 1 Thessalonians. And then some, most theologians believe six to 12 months later, he writes a second letter. And he writes a second letter on the same vein of thought, but he gives more detail to the second coming. And so every one of these Three chapters that we'll go through—it's all pertaining to the second coming of Christ—and and he's he's bringing clarity, he's bringing encouragement to them. He's letting them know uh, that it's okay that you didn't miss out on anything, that you were destined for this. We we talked about that several weeks back of how we're destined for suffering and affliction, and so we see a clear pattern in the uh, pattern in these three chapters of Second Thessalonians where Paul is going to encourage. He's going to exhort them, and he's also going to enlighten them and so that they understand exactly what's going on. And So today, we're going to read a whole chapter of the book, of, of the Bible. That's incredible. Maybe for your very first time, you haven't read a whole chapter yet. Today's the day. Um, and you get off easy because it's only 12 verses. And so uh, I would love for us to do like we mostly do, and we stand for the reading of the word. And so I would encourage you, as, as it is our tradition, to stand with us, if you're able, we're going to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 together. You can follow along on the screen if you do not have a, bi- a physical Bible. Or if you would like one, on the side walls we have bistro tables every week. There's a stack of Bibles there. Um, please take one of those. Uh, Cornerstone family provided that. It doesn't, doesn't affect me. Y'all, you're the one that paid for it. So it, it is yours. I would encourage you to take it if you need it. 2 um, Thessalonians chapter 1. This is what the word of the Lord says. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, or Silas, there. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may consider, be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay the afflict, with afflictions those who afflict you. to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to, to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good, every work of faith by his power so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we pray before we're seated. Father, as Paul prayed for the church, may that be our prayer. God, that every good resolve would be fulfilled. God, that every work of faith would have power, your power, God. And God, that you would touch You would touch us and use us. And God, that you would multiply your work through us, God. God, that we may be glorified in you and you in us. May people, as they see us, not see ourselves, but see Jesus Christ. And all the glory and the beauty and the majesty that you radiate from us, God. And so, Father, we thank you for using us today. We thank you for your word that is alive, it's sharp, it corrects and encourages. And, Father, we're just asking that you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated today. Today we're going to talk about the second coming of Christ. And I know that even at that title so many thoughts so many opinions so many things go through our head of well i thought i thought it was this way and then it and then i read this and i'm confused about it or i heard this and now i believe different or i really don't know what to think and you've got all these different things and people when they say things like the second coming of christ are they are they talking about uh, the, the rapture, the tribulation, or when he sets foot? Or are they talking about all of that? Or what are they talking about? And, and uh, even some eight weeks ago when we talked about the rapture and how uh, we can be so divided among, is it pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? Is, is God going to snatch me away before the, the tribulation or halfway through it or at the end of it? And and I think we all right, all settled on the fact that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray and believe that he's going to take me before, but I'm going to be ready in case he don't. And so that's the way we look at it, uh, because we don't want to cause division. We just want to stick to the Word, and the Word says, be ready. And so we want to be ready. We want to be watchful. We want to be sober, alert, standing firm. And so that's what Paul is, uh, is, is talking about, particularly in these three chapters. He's talking about Advent. Maybe that's a word that you've heard. Today actually marks the Advent season where where we as Christians begin to um, uh, remember the first Advent, the coming of Christ when he came like a baby and he came like a gentle servant. But there is a second Advent that is the one that we anticipate and we hope for and that is the second coming of Christ. You see, in the first Advent, Christ came in the weakness of infancy to become a suffering servant to those who were hopelessly lost. And in his second advent, he comes as the sovereign King of kings and the Lord of lords. That in his first coming, the stars marked his arrival. But in his second coming, the heavens will be rolled up like a scroll. The sky will fall away and he will illuminate it all. In his first coming, the wise men, the Magi brought him gifts. But when He comes the second time, He brings gifts and rewards to those who are His own. In His first coming, He came in a place that there was no room for Him. But the second time He comes, the whole world would not be able to contain the glory of our King. That at His first appearance, there were only a few in attendance. But the second time He appears, every eye will behold the Creator. He may, he may have came a first time as a baby, but the second time he'll come as a glorious ruler of the universe. Make no mistake about it, church. Jesus is coming back. And he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That he is Lord. His feet literally will touch down in the Mount of Olives, the place in which he ascended. The Bible says that which he ascended, he will descend on the earth and touch down. And in that moment, a glorious moment, that moment is a time of rescue, but it's also a time of wrath. That moment that is a time of rescue is also a time of wrath. It might be a moment of relief for a certain group of people, but it is a moment of retribution for another group of people. And today we as not even just followers of Christ, but creation. Us as the creation that God created, human beings, humanity, have to realize the sobering fact that this day is coming and there's going to be two groups of people, that which get relief and that which get retribution. It's going to be a day of mercy and a day of justice. And so we find ourselves in this sobering truth And Paul, doing what he can to encourage the church, to prepare the church. And he says in verse 5, that you might be considered worthy of this. That you would be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. Paul would then end this chapter with a prayer that God would make you worthy of this calling. And you see, the thing that we need to understand is that God prepares us for His coming. He prepares us for his return. When Paul says, be made worthy, that doesn't mean that you deserve it. How many of you know you don't deserve anything good from God? That we were destined for wrath. It's not talking about we deserve this. The word worthy there means that you might be fitted like a tailor fit suit. That you might be suitable to the calling of God on your life. That God might prepare you tuck in some places, let out some places that you might be prepared for his return. God is so concerned with preparing you in this life right here that he destines you for suffering. He's so concerned that you would be prepared to stand strong and not lose heart that he gives the Holy Spirit to you. He's so concerned that you would be suited and fitted for this glorious occasion that he would be able to say to you, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your master. That is the relief that is to come. And so God, in all of his infinite wisdom and rule and judgment, all his holiness still extends grace and mercy and is patience with his creation, hoping that they would come They would return back to the Father. And so we see Paul encouraging the church that God is preparing you for his return. But as God is preparing us in this life, this faith journey that we're on, he also gives us some promises. And there's some promises in this chapter that we just read about the second coming of Christ. Now, Paul doesn't cover all of them. He discovers those that are pertinent to those who are now suffering, who are now facing persecution, who are now facing tribulation, whose their, their faith is tested, the enemy's opposing, the wind and the waves are attacking them, the culture is pressing them to, to bow down, to turn away, to give in to their ways. And I don't know about you, but it sounds a lot like our faith journey right now, that we feel like everything is coming against us, that we can never get a tailwind, it's nothing but a headwind. And Paul says that's the life you were called to live he said that's the gospel that you're called to live he said that is the calling of the gospel it's not that of comfort it's that of crucifixion that when Jesus said come and follow me it wasn't to a resort it was to a hill on Calvary that we would die to ourselves, that we might be united and live to him and so the promises that we see in this chapter that Paul is trying to encourage the church with The first thing we see in verse 6 is a promise of eternal retribution. God will repay those who afflict you. In other words, those who are causing misery on your life, those who are persecuting you for your faith, those that are causing hardship and, 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 and try to stab you in the back and try to slander your name, those who are persecuting you because you're standing up for truth, God says don't repay them. Vengeance is mine. I will afflict those who afflict you. And the reality is, is, for some of us, especially us who grew up in Horn Lake, that, that I've got to understand that I don't have to take matters into my own hands. That those people that wronged me, it's not, they're not, they, I'm not in charge of what they got coming. Okay, It's not on my timeline. We have to be okay with the fact that they won't get paid back in this lifetime. That vengeance belongs to the Lord. And so as children of God, we just talked about it a couple weeks ago. As children of God, we don't operate by the world's standards to repay evil with evil. We do unto others as we would have them do unto us. We learned that in Sunday school. The golden rule. That's why in Romans chapter 12, we see it again. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. That's what Paul's talking about in 2 Thessalonians. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. The Lord, your God, says he will take care of you. He will repay others. And so there is a promise of retribution that we see in the text. But also, the second promise we see is a promise of relief in verse seven that there will be relief from our afflictions, our persecutions. As you notice in that passage, Paul uses two words that we like to throw together, affliction and persecution. And the word affliction is there to broaden the term persecution. That what Paul is trying to convey is that the persecution that you're experiencing isn't just physical. That when he uses the word affliction there, he also uses that to mean oppression, that there is an adversary. That the enemy is going to come in and try to divide. And he's going to come in and try to cause you to turn from your faith. That he's going to, cause, he's going to come in and he's going to try to scheme. He's going to try to deceive. That, that there is spiritual warfare. As we remember in Ephesians, that our, our, our battle is not flesh and blood. But it's against principalities and powers and rulers of this dark age. And so Paul is letting them know by, by saying the word affliction, that word literally means pressure. Heaviness. And as we talk to so many in the church in this season of, gr- of a great move of God in our church, so many people are experiencing heaviness and pressure and spiritual attacks and attacks in their marriage and attacks in their faith. And, and, and even people saying, I, 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 don't, I don't have peace in this. I don't know what to do with this because I'm heavy. And it's a spiritual attack. I, I can't even open my mouth and pray, Michael. I can't even, let the wo- I can't even get the words out. It's a spiritual attack. And so we must understand that Paul's saying that there's going to be a time that you're going to be afflicted with persecution, but there's relief. Relief is coming. There is an eternal relief. And he says that that is going to be rest for us. That when he comes back, Jesus, Jesus is our relief. He is our comfort. If we're being transparent today and vulnerable, we turn to a lot of other things in this world to bring us relief. That when the stress of job, the stress of our marriage, the stress of finance, the the pressure, the persecution, the oppression that we face, we turn to everything but Jesus sometimes to bring that instant relief. Because we think that, that we need something right now. Well, God in his mercy and infinite wisdom gives us an opportunity to not only experience eternal relief and comfort when he comes back, but he allows us to receive it right now. There's a scripture in Second Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he gives them some comfort. He lets them know that there is a temporary relief in this present trouble. He says this, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort." That's the name of God. He's the God of all comfort. He is the God of mercy who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. You see, just as Christ suffered, we will suffer. He said in this world you'll have many problems but take heart I've overcome the world we we will share in Christ's sufferings but because he suffered we can share in his comforts and this is the moment in our faith where we lean in and receive the comfort of God, the God of comfort. That is who he is. Just as Paul preached in First Thessalonians when he said, it feels like there's a death threat against me, but I serve a God who raises the dead. If you feel dead, we serve a God that raises the dead. If you feel like you need comfort, we serve a God that comforts. If you, if you need healing, we serve a God that heals. If you need provision, we serve a God that provides. What I'm telling you is that he is able. He is able To touch every part of your life, no matter how small it is, no matter how big it is. That God is able to reach in and touch you because He cares. He cares for you. With billions of people on the planet, God knows how many hairs are on your head. He calls you. He forms you. He anoints you. He destines you. God cares. And so we see that there will be a time of eternal relief But we can receive relief right now. The third promise is the promise of eternal ruin. Verses 8 and 9. The Bible lets us know that all the wrongs that have ever been done in history will receive their just sentence. That when people say, well, how could God allow this to happen? Why is that person getting away with this? Why did they get away with that? Friends, make no mistake. They are not getting away with it. That we cannot hide anything from the eye of our God. And that the Bible is clear that the second coming is an act of judgment and justice. And that while we as faithful followers of Christ will receive relief and enter into the joy of our master, there are people who will receive eternal ruin. And this is the reality that we live in, that which we, we must steward in our hearts to realize that there are two groups of people that will receive wrath in this text, those who do not believe in God and those who do not obey the gospel. So they believe, but they don't obey. Those who don't believe and those who don't obey, vengeance, will judgment will come on those And the judgment is sobering. The judgment is heavy. It says in verse 9 that they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. The reality is that we are not going through this life just worried about right now and what the market says, what the weather says, what the finances look like, what my health looks like right now. We have to live with eternity in view that the reality is is that the life that we live right here reflects either relief or ruin. That we we will get restoration and we will enter into the joy of our master or we will be judged and have judgment brought upon us. And so we see that we can live the best life, we can build an empire, we can leave a legacy, we can even do good and spend an eternity away from God. Do you feel that? That weight... Of eternity away from the presence of the Lord. But make no mistake about it, church, that this is not the will of God for your life. That while it is coming, and there's no way to avoid it, that judgment will be poured out, wrath will come, vengeance will come. Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin, became sin. God demonstrates his love for us in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 16. The most well known verse of the Bible shows us how far our God is willing to go. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. That was the sacrifice. That whoever believes in him should not perish, no ruin, no wrath, but have eternal life. God does not desire for us to have eternal ruin. He, des- he desires for us to have eternal life. And that relief that we get is to be with Jesus for eternity. Do you realize forever and ever and ever we get to be with Jesus? That our motivation for heaven, our motivation for heaven is not no sickness No disease, no turmoil, no tears. All that is great. Our motivation for heaven is that I get to be face to face with Jesus. That I get to be in the presence of my Savior. And so eternal life, it brings unification with the presence of God. That when I confess my sins, repent from my wicked ways, and I declare that Jesus is my Lord, I'm unified with him. But that if I don't believe the gospel, if I'm not obedient to what he says, it's eternal ruin and separation. Sin on this life, right here and right now is what separates us right now. Disobedience and unbelief will be what separates us in eternity. Right now is a testing ground Right now, we get a taste of what it'll be like in eternity. And we get that through sin and redemption. Sin gives us a taste of separation. Redemption gives us a taste of unity with God, that we are redeemed by the blood, that we can be in right relationship with him, that even right now, you can have a taste of what it feels like, what it looks like, what it means to be intimate with your Savior. But the other is true. That right now you can have a taste of what it means to be separated from him. And so today we must understand that our obedience results in eternal life. Obeying the gospel, obeying the call of the God, surrendering to him. I believe you, God. You're my Lord, you're my king. But disobedience receives eternal ruin. And so we see that the Bible says that there'll be a time of separation away from him, but it also says away from his power and his might. His power and his might. There is a time right now that we are experiencing the power of God. The power of God is available in your life right now. The power to, to bring salvation, the power, power to bring deliverance from addictions, the power to restore relationships, that power is available. But there comes a day when the door is closed. And no longer can we experience that power in our life. There comes a day where the window of opportunity for us to surrender to God comes to a close. And so for us that realize that we're posed with this right here is. Now, today, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that I make sure that I am right with Him. For us that are believers, Knowing that the window of opportunity is going to close, that means that today's the day that I share the gospel with my, my wife that doesn't know Christ, with my husband that doesn't know Christ, with my co-worker that doesn't know him, with my aunt that doesn't know him, with my child that doesn't know him, because the window of opportunity is coming to a close. The day of the Lord is near. They lived in such a way that they thought it had already happened. And they were a lot further behind us. We're even closer now, some 2,000 years. We don't know when the day is going to come, but it comes like a thief in the night. And the Bible says we must be ready. And so for us who do not have a relationship with Christ, we're not in right standing with him, we have an urgency on our life to surrender to Christ. For those of us who are faithful followers, we have an urgency on our life to do something about it, to preach the gospel, to share the good news of Christ, to invite people to sit at the table, to let them know that they have a place in the kingdom of God, to let them know that the lie of the enemy is that they're too far gone, that they've messed up, that God's mad at them. We're telling them that God's not mad at you, God's madly in love with you, and that there is hope, there is salvation. I want us to end today. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. This is for us who still need time to surrender to the Lord. Find encouragement in the words of Peter when he said, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but it is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord is extending patience to you. That now is the time that we turn, we repent, we turn away from our sin and towards God. Now is the time. There's no better day. The word says that today is the day of salvation. That today is the day we get right with the Lord. And for us, who are faithful followers of Christ, obedient, To him, today is the day that we take seriously the great commission to go therefore and to preach the gospel to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and lo I'm with you even until I come again today is the day that we as a church take seriously the call of God that he's placed on this house that we steward well the mantle that he's placed on us to reach those who are far from him and to bring them in to a relationship with him We're now in a season in our world in December where more people are receptive to the gospel in this month than any other month. This is the opportunity. If you're looking for a divine appointment, if you're looking for a window of opportunity to share your faith, God is doing it right now. Will you listen? Will you obey? Because the window is closing. Can we bow our heads today and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, we're just doing this time of reflection to allow the Holy Spirit to to stir in our heart, to to bring things to the surface that maybe need correction. Search my heart, O God. Pray that He would reveal things to you. That if there's anything in your life that's not of Him, that you would turn from those things. for those in, the pl- in this house today, that the reality is that you're not f- fit, suitable. You haven't been made worthy of the kingdom of God. You've tried on your own. you tried to live a good life, do the right things, say the right things, but you realize today as Paul prayed, may God make you worthy. You don't have to get cleaned up, prettied up. You can come to Him broken hurt messed up and all your mess and god will make you worthy god is preparing you right now for his return he wants to be united with you and so today as your heads are bowed your eyes are closed and you're praying to the lord and you would say michael that's me Michael, I know without a doubt right now that God's moving in my heart, moving in my life right now, and my next step is to surrender to Him. I'm just saying yes to Jesus today. I'm giving Him everything, all my mess, all my mistakes. If that's you, would you lift your hands and say, That's me. I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ right now. That's me. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Today's the day. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I ask that you stand to your feet today, all of us all over this room, as we go into a time of worshiping the Lord, of seeking his face, of getting exactly what we need. The God of all comfort is in the room right now. The God of all mercy is in the room to provide mercy, to provide grace, to provide comfort to you that those who mourn, those who weep, Those who rejoice may experience the presence of the Lord in this moment. And so, Father, you see us, you see our hearts, our decisions. God, we're making right decisions, right moves to respond appropriately to what you're doing in our hearts right now. And so, Father, we thank you, God, that you give us a clean heart, a new heart. I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new is here. I thank you for salvation. I thank you for restoration. God, as we now respond in worship, May it be pleasing in your sight, in Jesus' name. Be pleasing, in Jesus' name. As we go into worship, you can respond in the altar, respond to our prayer team that's making their way to the sides. If you gave your life to Christ today, we ask that you go to the prayer team and that you let them know they have resources for you. They want to pray with you. They want to give you a Bible and a new believer's guide so that we can do this together. And so let's get ready. Let's prepare our hearts and let's worship together. Father, right now, we enter enter into worship, ready to magnify, ready to glorify your name. And we thank you, Lord, that when you speak, things happen. Speak right now, Father. Speak in Jesus' name. Speak to your children and move mountains. In Jesus' name, amen.